0: Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. You didn't think you'd get rid of me that easily. I trucked it back. We left early this morning from Geneva and drove past where this stage actually finished, or nearby, Cretum de Dauphiné Stage 7. The exam, by the way, it looked like to me they ripped half the questions out of the sports director exam. So, anyway, that's another story for a later date. We'll see how that goes. (laughs) Um, This stage was from Sol. Chaffry, uh to Vosgieni. I don't know the rules for pronouncing Alpine names in the Dauphiné. It's importantly, it has the Gubbier Cradle Faire combination that we will see in the Tour de France on stage twelve, I think, this year before Alpe d'Huez. But today they didn't finish on Alpe d'Huez. They finished on uh, a shorter climb to Vosgeny or Vosgeny without any valley after the Croix de la Faire descent, whereas before Alpe it's a long valley, which influences the um, influences the tactics about attacking early. Anyway, this last climb, first three k's was steep, 9%, then it leveled off considerably. There was even a short descent in the last 1,200 meters. The differences we made in that first three, three and a half k's of that last climb, one would think. But a short, nice stage, coverage started really late, before we get into Benji's uh, recap of the, well, when TV coverage started, I mentioned our show partner, Zwift. Finding a, show, a social group on Zwift has never been easier. Zwift have recently refreshed their pace partners, and now it's easier than ever to drop into a group that suits the pace you're looking for. Pace partners are bots that ride at a cons- consistent pace on a particular route and are a great way of riding with a group at an intensity that suits you. These are across Watopia as well as the Makuri Islands with power ranging from one watt per kilo all the way to 4.2 watts per kilo. You can hop in with a pace partner whenever you like and for however long you like. So if you're already an existing Zwift subscriber, which I'm sure many of you are, that's a new or updated feature rather that you can check out. But big fight for the breakaway, Benji, and also weird because – there's really not that many top climbers, like top, top guys who even were far enough down on GC to be let in a break.
1: Yes, certainly. But it was the same guy as every single other stage in this Dauphiné trying to get into the breakaway again. Pierre Rolland has his KOM jersey. He wants to keep that KOM jersey. So... He needs to get as many KOM points as possible, especially on a stage like this with multiple mountains in it. And he goes in that break, and the only person that really tried to fight him for those KOM points was Matteo Fabro. Some other riders in there that were pretty good. Luis Leon Sanchez, Gregor Mühlberger, and Verona, two riders from Movistar. Armirai from Groupama. We had the likes of Devin for for Step, Ardia for UAE. We had three riders from Trek-Segafredo: Squins, Stuyven, and also Elisande. So the strongest clamor there on paper is Elisande, in my opinion. But it's an approach that they clearly want to try and win the stage from the breakaway. They have three riders in it. Victor Lafayette in the breakaway for the second day in a row after failing yesterday to take the victory. Huglielmi for Arkea, Lorenz Heiss for Anton Marche, and two riders from the SM, Donovan and Vermarke. And I forgot one rider, Omer Goldstein of uh, Israel. Yes, that's the name of that team. So a pretty large breakaway, 18 riders. And when it's a very large breakaway on the Gullaby itself that first time, that's when that's created. You're going to see some people trying to ride away again. And towards the top, it was, like we said, Roland and Fabro going for this grand points. But in the descent, it all came together. And it really came to the Quad de la Faire, where stuff started happening in that group again. But in the peloton, Yumbo had offered up a large gap, but also a manageable one. And it was Laporte that was pacing at the uh, foot of the Quad de la Faire, doing some uh pacing there for Jumbo, trying to keep the gap relatively small. And... We waited a bit. We saw Laporte dropping off the front. Then what team was going to pick it up? And I saw UNOX taken up as the next team. So UNOX for uh, the former enemy of the podcast, Tobias Johansson, setting up some tempo, showing themselves, trying to prove uh, ASO wrong for not inviting them to the Tour de France. And uh, yeah, they kept out the tempo for, I think, a good like eight to ten kilometers in the middle of the Cueil la Faire. And it wasn't really a excruciating tempo, uh, but... The peloton started hurting a tiny bit, and it was Groupama that, towards the end of that quarter d'Affaires, started hammering it a bit more. And the real victim when it comes to GC was Enric Maas dropping on the Coeur d'Affaires. And we can say, yeah, not good. But on the other hand, I think he fell one of a, was it three stages ago or something yeah. pretty hard. And He's I don't know how hard. Race. Yeah, that's true.
0: Ask. Uh, what else did he do? The other stage race. He crashed maybe Catalonia. I can't Tireno? remember. Tereno, Tereno. That's it. He crashed on Carpeño Descent or I think. Uh, he crashed. Yeah, he's crashing a lot. So basically crashed out of GC again here. That's hurting Movistar's points. Sorry, go on, Benji.
1: So in the breakaway, Movistar had those two riders, Mühlberger and Verona, and they tried some stuff on the la Affaire. And it was Mühlberger first that tried to get ahead. And Elisondo jumped to the wheel of Mühlberger. And then the group behind it looked like Verona was kind of first pacing towards and Mulberger, but then kind of went out of the way to leave it to the other two people still with him. But eventually that came back together. It was Alessandra that made a move towards the top of the Quella fair and his ascending is on point, to be honest. And Verona was also with him and those two riders basically rode away from the others from that point onwards. But there was some, uh, some drama in the descent, some gaps opening up, some gaps being closed. But towards the bottom of that descent, they were both starting that last Janique climb to uh, fight for the stage here, to be honest.
0: Yeah, Kenny, I think, needed to take a gap on the descent. And you think, oh, Kenny's 52 kilos. He's going to drop Verona on the 9% section. Well, that's the same logic that one would think would apply to Wauw Van Art against Kenny on Mont 2 last year. But Verona's actually completely under... Well, not underrated by this podcast, I think. Did I pick him as, like, best domestic in the world? Was, no, no, no. I went with Castro, but I had him in my top three, maybe. Yeah. And people maybe don't realize how strong this guy is because you don't, no one's noticing, Ooh, that domestique made the last eight guys on a mountain stage and then dropped. Um, And often Movistar are not being aggressive on pure mountain stages in the tour, but he's strong as hell. And probably like 68, 70 kilos sort of range, been a uh, domestique at bike exchange and now been a domestique at Movistar largely. And, he straight up just dropped Kenny at the base of this climb, just put the hammer down and kept a gap. at It was like 15, you see Kenny hanging on, and then Kenny sits back down, and this is pretty much over for Kenny. It's over for Kenny because back in the peloton, we saw initially Groupama FDJ pacing, Catano maybe he'd come back and then immediately was dropped on this uh, climb. Which I should say, by the way, Cradle Affairs a stepped climb. This one, five point eight k, seven point two percent. It's really a four k climb at like eight um, <laughs> percent. Yeah, Store uh, Rail came back from the break. Store was then pacing. I don't think it was like nuclear pace by any means. Very hot conditions, though I can tell you, in the south of France today, extremely warm. Uh, so that was a point. Uh, to note and you know, O'Connor struggled on Von two last year in the heat how is he going to go but it was who was the initial runner to attack from that group Benji was it Ruben Guerrero because I
1: was like is that Mark Perdun but it was Guerrero right <laughs> yeah it was uh, Ruben Guerrero looked to be good a few days ago already and I uh, certainly showed it again today I think he was like third or fourth on the Godou stage the stage that Godou took away from a uh, while well, in the last meter, Guerrero had a good kick there, showed himself there, and now he attacks away here. And there was no imminent response because Kreisweg wasn't there anymore for Yambo. So it was up to Vingega and Roglic alone for that team at that point. And what are they going to do? It was all down to Storer still for Krupala, who was pacing for Godou. And we really had to wait until someone was going to pick it up in that group and someone was going to make a move because Storer only had a limited amount of energy left to do something. And I think the next attack was, was it Jonas that went earlier?
0: I don't know if Jonas responded to like a non-threatening GC attack. He waited a little bit, but he did move. And then O'Connor's just on his wheel immediately. Roglic, I'll hold that thought for whether that was correct, but Roglic holds uh, O'Connor's wheel. Everyone comes back. We see Gagan Hart dropped with Haig and Caruso, and they're working with. Gegenhart did a very good TT, so he's up there in the GC rankings. And yeah, then it's just Jonas starts to pace with a group of Menkes, uh, Johannesson which is, I was like, that's really good level from those guys. He's just pacing that group uh, with Godou, Chavez is there looking pretty comfortable. And I think Guerrero drops. All uh, the domestiques are dropped. Eventually, uh, I think Rollis just went nuclear mode. I can't remember whether it was a counter or it was Jonas was pacing clearly at threshold. Like he did not look, if you compare the two faces, I might do it in my video, side by side between the stage while well, uh, celebrated too early on the climb, his face there and his face pacing today, much more comfortable today. Clearly just pacing at threshold and yeah, when went his, for his patented nuclear um, teleportation attack, and we're worried <laughs> for Carlos Verona. He, luckily, the gap was gone down to a 44 seconds. When Robles attacked, it was at like 35 seconds. It then went down to 15. He was very lucky. It leveled off, and Jumbo didn't have Kreuzweik able. If Kreuzweik could have paced at the start of this climb really hard, maybe Carlos Verona doesn't win this stage, but he does from the break. Incredibly strong performance from him. His first ever pro win which goes to show there are some incredibly strong riders out there who can win. I know it's from the break, I know, but still, he had to be very good today in hot conditions who can win big races like that. And he wins at 29 years old, his first pro race, ahead of Roglic, who was on 13 seconds from him, which is 12 seconds ahead of Jonas, who sat on O'Connor and then attacked him to take four bonus seconds and O'Connor on 27. Johannesson, i got to say, I didn't think he could do this. I know it's a short climb, which suits him more. But he's fifth on the stage, fourth of the GC guys on thirty-nine. Chavez forty. Gudu a little bit disappointing for me actually. After FDJ pacing, Cradle affair, and this climb. And this climb should suit him. Seventh with Mankeys on the same time. Eighth Gagenhart, Ninth out sprints the Bahrain guys. Tenth and eleventh on fifty-six. So not huge gaps on GC. Wout and Cattaneo, a hater actually, mate, it was in that group, but he dropped early. But Wout loses many positions, don't know where he is, hundreds. Uh, Broglic goes into the yellow jersey, forty four seconds out of his teammate Jonas, O'Connor on one twenty four, Gagenhardt on one thirty, 130, Caruso one thirty two, Gadu one forty, Johansson two a five, Jorgensen to a six, Haig two twelve, Mankeys two sixteen. So Tamashe just always there. Um they're not big G C gaps, Benji. Although it was a statement from Jumbo Visma, like Without a doubt, Roglic and Jonas showed we are the best two riders in this race.
1: Yes, certainly. And I'd argue that O'Connor also showed that he was pretty damn strong to still be near Vingegaard when it comes to the finish line. But Roglic's move was strong. He got away. It was at a moment where the tempo was already, like you said, at Vingegaard's threshold, which is above the threshold of the majority of people in that group. And with Vingegaard setting such an excruciating pace before Roglic made that move, that means that... It's kind of like a double effect, you know. The others are already in trouble from Jonas's move, and then when Roglic just goes, they just can't respond. And not a single person was able to even remotely respond. But hey, Bogachev is not here, so we don't know what would happen if Pogacha is in that group. For example, would he be able to follow what Roglic does? Who knows? But it's certainly a move of like, okay, my knee pain is gone when it comes to Roglic because that's something that people might have been worried about after uh, was it Basque Country where he had a. Yeah. Uh, a worse race compared to this one. But it's a statement today's stage. It's a statement of like, I'm back and he's certainly looking decent for the tour.
0: Yeah, it's already moved his tour rolls, which is surprising to me because it's like, what did you expect to happen? Like if Roglic can't put 12 to 15 seconds into O'Connor on this stage, then what the fuck did you think? Like, of course you can. It, to me, it doesn't change anything about the tour. From a Roglic performance perspective, the big thing is... We didn't see Jonas like this in the Dauphiné last year. He had an Achilles issue, I think. He got in a break on stage, maybe eight chasing Padun uh, with Kreuzweik. And Jonas looks like a top five GC contender in the world right now. That's probably conservative. For the tour, he's third favorite in the betting and also in my mind. And all what I want to discuss here is Benji. Jonas and Roglic are ahead of O'Connor on GC. Jonas attacks on the climb. O'Connor goes with Jonas. O'Connor is 30 seconds behind Jonas on GC and probably not a better climber than him or better punch at the end. But he's and he's even a minute or so behind, more behind rog- Roglic on GC. Shouldn't Roglic let his wheel go?
1: If Vingo makes that move and O'Connor jumps to Vingo... Then on paper, he can stay in the group. Roglic can stay in the group that he is behind because other people that are also endangered by Vingegaard and by O'Connor in GC will now be fearful that those other two riders are riding away. So Roglic can actually use the riders that are with him to be paced back to the front. So on paper, he should not respond to a situation like that. But I feel like on today's stage, with Roglic being so secure when it comes to GC, that they just pulled the car, Roglic, instantly... And we're saying, okay, today is Roglic day, this Dauphine is Roglic, and he's going to take this regardless. So we're going to try and make a show and try and get a 1-2 on this stage, something like that. Because, yeah, I agree. He uh, he should not do this in perhaps the Tour de France. But in a stage race that ends tomorrow, basically, I'd argue that this is a, a relatively decent choice still.
0: Yeah, it's not like a tactical mistake. I'm just forward-thinking to... When we're in the tour, when there's Jonas and Roglic, if it's Vlasov or O'Connor again going with Jonas and rog- and Pogaccia's in the group, I think if you're Roglic, yeah. you you have to look at him to close. And also, yeah. after a TT in this race, if Pogaccia was here, Pagaces wouldn't be so far behind on GC. Like so, I, to Benji's point, you know the other guys are further behind on GC, so that's why again. It's just something to think about, how they'll play those guys. And also, would you have, and I know Pogacar again is not here, would you have Jonas pace that group like that for Roglic if Pogacar, Danny Martinez, Vlasov are in that group?
1: Probably not, because you'd like to try and create a situation where Pogacar has to do work and spend his energy. So either that is by having Jonas respond to the likes of a Danny Martinez or something that tries to go up the road or Jonas trying to trigger those attacks himself and trying to put pressure on on the likes of a Pogacar to make sure that Roglic has to then well, follow Pogacar if he responds or stay with Pogacar if he doesn't, you know? makes sense?
0: Yeah, you, you just... I think if Pog's in the group the whole dynamics are different. Um, so yeah, it's... But it's just something that yeah, I'm thinking about how they'll work with those two and I do remember like... Benji's sort of played the devil's advocate for Roglic here. You have to remember Roglic closing gaps to Wout's wheel in Milano san on the Poggio, which yep. were not correct at the time into a headwind. I think so. Yeah, just have to think about some tactics for the Tour de France to come. But yeah, statement from Yumbo. That being said, that being said, this Dauphiné is not over. You can look at Dauphiné 2020. Unfortunately, Roblich crashed out and Bookman, I think, uh, on the gravel descent, but it was on the stage before. Look at Dauphiné last year. Port nearly lost it, although it was only 35 seconds. He lost it when Thomas crashed on the descent. There was Haig attacking him. He was being attacked in the run-in. Paranese, I know it's not Paranese, but I'm just saying, this Dauphiné is not over hot conditions. You don't know how people will recover. O'Connor, who was... As I said, struggled on Von 2 in the heat last year was, yeah, great today. I think O'Connor's the standout to me today, and I don't know the watts yet. They could have been middling, could have been great. I don't know yet, but O'Connor being in that company is really good uh, from him, so he needs to be, should be very happy. Tomorrow's stage, though, 140Ks, it's very tricky. 9Ks, 6.5%. Out the gate, but it's got steeper sections than that in there. Descent, no flat in the first thirty k's. Then eight is four percent. Then a valley of nineteen kilometers flat. Then some stepped climbs, about all up seven k's, four percent descent. Then Le Grand Bonnet, three point uh, seven k's, six percent up to Col de la Colombier. i I'm not sure that's the one. Is that the one or the other side that Pogacar attacked on last year? Can't remember. 12Ks, 5.7% descent, short valley, and then the hardest climb of the race, maybe one of the hardest mountaintop finishes we've seen in World Tour racing so far this year, Plateau de Soleil. 11.4Ks, 9%, very, very difficult climb because it's irregular too. The first two kilometers average 11%. There's a kilometer, according to the, the graphic, of 15%, which is filthy. (laughs) What are you expecting from tomorrow? Benji Yumbo got the yellow jersey. Did they try and go for the stage win for Roglic to cap it off? It's a long, uh, not long, but it's a difficult stage to control. He's obviously the favorite if he's in the GC group with no break. What would you do if you were them?
1: Well, I agree that it's a very uh, difficult stage to uh, control, especially because of those first two climbs being so imminent at the start. So Plumbers will try and get in the breakaway. A large breakaway like today will try to form, And then there's this plateau section that you mentioned between that Col de la and that Col de la Colombière where the gap can kind of open up. So let's say a break gets away that is not necessarily dangerous. Then if I'm Yumbo, I'm just opening up the gap there. I'm like, okay, well, we don't need to chase here. If it's a dangerous breakaway, mm, then it becomes troublesome because then you kind of need to, like, base the entire way through and you need to force yourself to base the entire way through Unless you control it on the initial two climbs, which won't be an easy challenge to do. But Jumbo has a pretty strong team here, so I'm pretty sure that on paper they should be able to manage a breakaway trying to get away in those first 60 kilometers. I'd argue it's stronger than every other team. Yeah, Uh, compared to all the other teams, I I say yes, it's strong. I don't know.
0: Like, it depends. (laughs) If Wout dropped early today, he might have had a rest. He did Remember on Paranese, he didn't try on any of the climbs, and then last stage, he was absolutely flying. Whether it's that, I'm not sure. He said he'd not been focusing on his climbing as much in interviews this week. I do think Laporte, Kreisvike, who else they got here? Harper, Wout, if he isn't in good shape, Benoît. Even Benoit, I don't. I think they might struggle. To, well, I think they will struggle to control breaks on eight k seven percent to start off the stage. Um, so it'll be interesting. But then the question is, as Benji said, like, okay, well then, then what? What teams are going to put them under pressure? Who has multiple leaders? Who yeah. will try and get satellite riders in the breakaway? Agee 2 like Bouchard Bahang?
1: maybe. And? Bahrain, perhaps? They've got two leaders, Haig and Caruso. They can try something crazy because I doubt that Caruso will be fine with the fifth spot and that Haig will be happy with a ninth spot in GC. So they kind of need to try something early on tomorrow's stage. I think one of the two, at least. And I think Caruso is the offensive one of the two to try something early, but might be too early. So the satellite rider in the breakaway for perhaps an attack on Colombier or something. I don't know. But on the other hand, I think the final climb is just so hard that attacking on the Colombier early will be a will be difficult for anybody to hold out until the finish line. But uh, the likes of a Guerrero going in the breakaway on 249 in GC, that's rider. I'm like, he was good today. He actually could do something like that and might put Jumbo under pressure if he's in the breakaway with only 249 down.
0: There's so many riders running for a top 10 on GC here and it's really thinning out the potential candidates to win this stage from the break. Conrad last year, was further back. He was in the break on the last Dauphiné stage, got dropped by Padouin on Col de Joublin. But he's like 13th on GC at 250. He ain't getting in the break. Well, at least not easily. So I think we'll see again. Roland, Verona, Le Fay, all the same guys. Stora or Army Rail, partially for stage, partially for stat- satellite rather. I think, Bahrain is tricky because if they're climbing like today, Benji, they're getting dropped tomorrow, Hagen Caruso. So I really think, like, isn't Yumbo? if I was Yumbo, I'd let break go. I'd let break win, and then I'd have hard pace, bottom of the climb, have Jonas attack, and then see what happens from there. Roller should be under no issues there tomorrow. So, yeah, I'm going with I'm still going with a Roglic stage win because I think the break just might perish in that little valley. Like If one guy goes clear on um, Colombier Mm -hmm. and he has to do that valley solo when, say, Sanchez is pulling the valley or something, that's going to be really tough. So I'm going with Roglic stage win.
1: I'm going to go with Jonas. I think that there's an opportunity there. There's a situation where I see Jonas making a move and the Roglic not necessarily closing the rider that goes to him. Or perhaps that there's a scenario where Jonas goes and nobody instantly reacts because they're kind of looking at like okay what what do we do now and then one of them will try to react roguelike will try and jump to the wheel and that tempo will die out again and i think i see a scenario happening where Jonas takes the stage
0: okay okay i see that too maybe following our advice as of today But yeah, that's all from Crotim de Dauphine, last big mountain stage tomorrow, so we'll be tuning in for that, although the coverage is very short each day. Uh, But we do have a report as well from the women's tour, Benji, which had what we, I would hope, from the last stage of all stage races and Grand Tours. Wouldn't that be great if Grand Tours ended like this?
1: Yes, certainly. What a shocking start to this uh, stage already. 142 kilometers from Chipping Norton to Oxford. Pretty much flat when it comes to the finish, but surprisingly... The thing that would matter a lot was the bonus seconds at the intermediate sprint and the finish, because the first two riders in GC, Grace Brown and Longo Rogini, started this stage with zero seconds difference the same time. So at an intermediate sprint, they could get three seconds, two seconds, one second. And at the finish line, they could get 10 seconds, six seconds, and four seconds to try and gain an advantage on each other. And at the first intermediate sprint, it went to the Peloton, where they started sprinting against each other, but Grace Brown was just simply faster. and. Kodo even stole points from her teammate Elisa Longoborghini, so didn't help too much there. So Grace Brown took a three-second bonus at the intermediate sprint, basically, on Elisa Borghini in GC. So Brown had the upper hand. Then three riders rode away, including Mickey Krueger, to take away the bonus seconds at the second intermediate. So it would all come down to the final. And on paper, like, on paper, it's a lost cause for Elisa Borghini right now because... While this final is technical, she on paper doesn't have the sprint to sprint against the actual sprinters in this race. But this final was so technical and Elisa Longorghini was brought to the front by her team so significantly in that final stretch that it started causing splits in the group and it looked like Brown was losing the wheel of Caponi and so forth in the final stretch. Caponi started going for herself in the final for FDG, so Brown was not really in the, in the screen anymore for the final. And that's when you know, okay, if Brown is not in this final, and Elisa Bolognaborghini takes any bonus seconds, then it's gone for Grace Brown, this GCN. We saw Lorena Uibis then in the wheel of Elisa Bolognaborghini in that final corner, trying to fly past on the right. Uibis, obviously, the fastest sprinter at this race, so easily just destroys everybody there. Caponi trying to sprint for the second place there, but it started becoming troublesome and more troublesome towards the line because it looked like she was kind of getting done for towards the end, and she, in the end, Almost gets caught by Longoborghini, who is sprinting in this final stretch. But Caponi comes second with six seconds bonus seconds, and Borghini comes third, which means that she takes four bonus seconds compared to the three she needed to take the leader jersey. So Longoborghini wins the women's tour by sprinting to third on a sprint stage and wins it by one second on Brown. How shocking!
0: And it's a world tour G- GC as well, it's a world tour race. So I wonder, like. What would this be like? Um, I don't know. It'd be like going for Wout or Hater and the Ineos or Yumbo GC guy. Like, can you criticize FDJ for going for Caponi against Fevers? I don't know. It's like, what else could they have done? Could they have sprinted with multiple riders? They already took away some bonus seconds just by Caponi sprinting. So this was extremely unlikely, but yeah, great plan from Trek executing this, and Longoborghini takes the win. And so the overall results, Longoborghini winning GC, one second of Grace Brown, Nivea Doma third, Alexandra Manley fourth, Mulman fifth, Shabby sixth, Faulkner seventh, Ewers eighth, Bertizolo and Harvey ninth and tenth. So, yeah, a lot of sprints. Uh, Lorena Vives keeps winning. As I said earlier, she w- she won three stages here, and she crashed on the first stage, which she probably would have won. Um, she's probably the one dollar oh ten, no one oh, five favorite to take the first yellow jersey in about um, less about a month and a half in Paris on the Champs Elysees for the first stage. Twenty three years old, forty seven pro wins, and yeah, she has won like. Ten races, I think, this season already. She had a slower start to the year last year, but yeah, Vives is flying. So, any last thoughts from the Women's Tour, Benji? Um, in terms of GC from Wulffman and Shabby for the Tour de France, Femme avec Swift, I didn't really. There weren't long enough climbers to really say.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that, but. I feel like my overall feeling when it comes to women's tour is that at the start I was kind of disappointed in the race itself, like the finals being sketchy and so forth, being dangerous, causing crashes. But towards the end of this race, it got better and better. And we get full live coverage for this entire final stage. We had some trouble with live coverage for some other stages where the 4G uh, signal was gone, in the same style as it was for uh, the Giro on the Passo Jiao stage, for example. But It wasn't because of rain here. It was because of the the density of the coverage in that area in the UK. But in the end, I think it ended up being a very stressful race in the end. But a pretty good one in the final. And uh, I enjoyed it. Can't complain.
0: That's all from us at the moment. We'll have the Dauphiné wrap up tomorrow. And then Tour de Suisse also starts uh, tomorrow, I think. I haven't been able to manage to get... Uh, highlights rights for Tour de Suisse, so we'll be covering it just on the podcast this week, which I'm looking forward to. Remco, J. Vine, Blasov, Higita, pretty stacked field actually for Tour de Suisse and a few you know Martinez and Blasov at Tour de France GC candidates. I'd like to say thanks to Benji for holding down the fort the last two days. It was only supposed to be one, but then got caught up in traffic. So thanks to Benji for holding down the fort and for everyone's support. Of him. It is incredibly hard solo potting. Actually, <laughs> um, I can't do it. I need a person to bounce things off. Uh, so thanks to him. Thanks to you all for your support as always. And we'll see you with Dodophone Wrap Up tomorrow. Ciao.